So Matthew chapter 5, I want you to look at this verse. The Bible has said that we are the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world. So in verse 16 he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light so shine. So you have a light evidently. A light is something that helps people to see. Now, if you just try to live a pretty life, then fine. You can just live a nice, pretty life, and you'll get all the credit, and people brag about how wonderful you are, what a wonderful individual you are. But if they don't know, you do it for the Lord, because you never give God the credit. And you don't tell people why you did it. Then you reap all the credit and all the glory. Now, if that's what you're after, God says, you have received your reward. You won't get one later, because you didn't do it for Him. You did it for yourself. You didn't witness because you were afraid. You lived a nice, clean life so nobody could say anything about you. Well, that's fine. But why did you do it? Did you tell them? So you've got to have a light, a message to give. And so he says, let your light so shine that they may glorify God. So there has to be something in this light that they see and glorify God because of it. I would say it this way. The man who led me to Christ, Mr. Raymond Jackson... He let his little light shine. And I have been glorifying the Lord ever since. Because I'm so thankful for the guy who let his light shine. Who gave me the gospel. I didn't hear it in a church. I heard it in a home, a little old living room. Sitting there with my father-in-law on a couch at night. We didn't have anything. We didn't have hardly anything at all. We were so poor we couldn't even pay attention. I mean, we were, we were broken than the Ten Commandments. But God is good. It kind of made me stop and have to listen. I don't know if I'd ever listen to that man if it hadn't been for that. God had pulled the rug out from under me, and I didn't have a thing. It was a very humbling experience. And yet that was the greatest hour of my life. I'm thankful to the Lord. I really am. So anyway, look there at your notes. I have in Luke chapter 16, you read it many times, talking about the rich man and Lazarus. Speaks of Christ speaks of these two men, and that they both died. What happened to the rich man? And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, been in torment. He was in conscious torment. He wasn't swooning, like they try to say about Christ. on the He was just in a swoon. He didn't really die. Yeah, he did. He was in conscious torment because he says he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. The place mentioned in Luke 16 is Sheol or Hades, the place of the departed dead. It was for both believers and non-believers. Two compartments, goth between. One called paradise and one called place of torment. And these two, Two individuals, Abraham and the rich man, had a conversation going on. So he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Well, Abraham couldn't have mercy on him. It wasn't Abraham's responsibility. He didn't have the opportunity. He couldn't do it. He could do nothing. He said, I can't come to you. You can't come here. Those two places are separated. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus. 
that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now understand, I wrote these two things down here, these two requests. He says his first request was for Lazarus to be sent to him. That request was denied. Send Lazarus. Denied. Second request was send Lazarus to his brothers. That request was also denied. You have to admit that the rich man was learning how to pray, but a little too late. He said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would have sent him. Those two words, send him. Even the person in hell wants there to be missionaries. They want missionaries. They have a greater concern for the people that have not yet died than the people that are going to heaven. Of all the things that he could have asked for, for himself just the touch of water on his tongue. But his greater concern was for his five brothers. He didn't want them to come to that place. Send Lazarus that he may, and the next word is testify. So there must be something that Lazarus knew that if he told them, they would hear something and not come there. And that is the truth. Abraham says he has Moses and the prophets. Let him hear them. Look at the last part of this. People in hell are more concerned about the salvation of their relatives than are most Christians. We are sent by Christ into the world for the same purpose the Father sent Christ into the world. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Christ was sent to seek and to save that which was lost, and so are we. So that's why we want to try to support missionaries that are on the field and that are soul winners. You don't just support anybody. On the back page, the most important thing revealed at the judgment seat of Christ is did we or did we not persuade men? Did we or did we not? I don't think God's going to ask you what size home you lived in or what kind of a car you drove. Those aren't important things. It's not going to matter where you ate, you didn't eat, how many vacations you have. None of that matters. Did you sow the seed? Did you sow seed? Did you help sow the seed? What did you do for me? There's a song that we used to sing. He gave his life for me. What hast thou done for me? What hast thou done for me? It's a good song. But look at the thing. The fear of the Lord should motivate us to live for him. The terror of the Lord. Now I have to be honest, I've not quite figured that out yet. I don't know if it's the terror of the Lord of God's anger at God's people when we get there. Or because of the terror of the Lord that we know what's going to happen to the lost and we did nothing about it. I'll have to be honest, sometimes I get, I get so tired and weary. Now I get weary in the work, but I have never gotten weary of the work. I get tired and weary, and I sometimes don't feel like I can keep going. But you just keep on going, one day at a time, just one day at a time. And yeah, you get weary, but don't get weary of the work, even though you may get weary in the work. 
It's so important. The first moment in heaven will reveal to us what loss will miss by not being there. Think for a moment. Not only what the lost man has to suffer in hell, which will be bad, but I think about what he's going to miss in heaven. I thought about, I know I'm going to heaven when I die, but I thought about my mom. I didn't want my mother to miss out on heaven. I didn't want my brother to miss out on heaven. I didn't want my sisters to miss out on what's going to be there. I don't know what I was going to be there. But I don't, I don't want to be there without them. I want them to be there. I want them to see and understand and enjoy it. I don't want them to be in hell. Even though it's a place of suffering, because after a while, God says that He will wipe away all tears and will remember the former things no more. Now, I'm not sure I understand all of that. I'd like to say it means this and this and this, and I can guess. I just don't want them to miss out on where we're going. We went to the schools the other day, and when I see those kids sitting on the stands, you know, I, I'm interested in trying to get kids to go to camp. Now, I sure am. And I'm, I'm, I'm sold in trying to get kids to go to college. But right now, I'm looking at them thinking, I don't want them to miss out on heaven. I want them to miss out on hell, but I don't want them to miss out on heaven. What do they need most? If they never go to camp, if they never go to college, I don't want them to go to hell. I want them to go to heaven more than camp and more than college. I want them to go to heaven. See, when it's in the back of your mind and you're focused upon this, it keeps you thinking straight because the moment is gone. That opportunity of those four schools so far, it's gone. But at least some kids have heard the gospel. You sowed some seeds. But I think about how many Christian schools are there? How many opportunities are out there? How many nursing homes are out there with nobody to come and share the gospel with these people sitting in nursing homes, you know, week after week and year after year, nobody ever comes to see them? A lot of times, kids have put their parents away, and, and maybe they can't get to them, but they get lonely. They get lonely. And when I would travel around, I would get a chance to somebody say, Preacher, uh, uh, i got to go to the nursing home this afternoon. Would you like to go with me? Sure. And so I would play my harmonica. They liked that. Sing a song on a guitar. You know, the only reason I ever learned how to do the guitar is for the, I, I just wanted to have an opportunity to, to teach teenagers, you know, in the youth meeting. So I know I had to figure it out. So, but see, but that's what drove that. And whenever I wanted to learn how to play the piano a little bit, I had to have and something drives you. You gotta have a motive, something to get going. You'd be surprised what you can do if you start moving in the right direction. You see, sometimes I wonder, wouldn't it be neat if we had the church full on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights? Wouldn't that be great? But maybe I've got exactly what I need for training those who are going to shake the world. Those who are going to do something. You say, well, we're, we're a bunch of old folks in here. <laughs> are you trying to tell me that God can't use older folks? If he can't, what am I doing here? What's Al Marshall doing here? He's in his hundreds or 90 or something. Huh? He's in his 80s. 
I'm not, I shouldn't say this, but uh, the little lady this morning, she was 85 years old. And we got somebody else, maybe 75, 76, 77, something like that over here on this side of the room somewhere. And then you got Dr. Polson back there. He's a couple years older than I am. But that doesn't mean we got to, you know, hang up our shoes. We're, uh, we're done. No, we're not done. We are finally at the place where we can do something. Look how much that God has taught for us and done for us. And no, we've only begun to fight. We decided to be a prisoner of love. Serve the Lord because we love him. See there at number three, because of the love of Christ. The love of Christ, for the love of Christ constraineth us to move us, to motivate us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead, and that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. So we have a reason for doing it, because God loves them and we love him. And I believe it's the most important thing. Look at this statement, because I believe it's such an important statement. His love for the Lord made Paul a prisoner to the desires of the Lord. After Christ's resurrection, the disciples had become disheartened, so they went fishing. John 21 tells of how Christ appeared to them again. He asked this question of Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? Do you love the Lord more than the things of the world? Christ then asked Peter, Lovest thou me? Peter says, Yea, I love you. That feed my sheep. You see, keep asking him the question, do you love me? He didn't ask him, do you love the sheep? He said, do you love me? He said, I don't love those people. Don't worry about it. Do you love him? Let his love motivate you to reach people. And why do you do it? Because he loves them and he loves me. And I'm going to let his love motivate me to show them his love. So then you treat people and you want to reach people because God so loved the world. And God is simply using you. The next statement here. Remember Christ never asked Peter if he loved the sheep. You can't love the sheep without loving God. And if you love God, you'll love the sheep. There are lost sheep to win and saved sheep to train. Christ wants you to serve him because of your love for him, the shepherd. Whether or not you feed the sheep depends on whether or not you love the Lord. And remember, he did say, feed my sheep. He didn't say, feed my giraffes. So we put the food down on the bottom shelf where even little children can understand. One of the things that's sometimes interesting is I have people that listen to the radio and sometimes they come to church and they say, I can understand you. You speak so clearly. And you don't use all those great big words. I thought, I don't know any. You don't use all that fancy talk. Just talk so simple and so plain. It's so easy to understand. In other words, it come, almost comes across like, you know, you're not really that intelligent. But I would rather have people understand what I said. Because even Paul said, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding than thousands of words that people can't understand. And therefore, speak plainly, he says. Speak clearly. So if there's anything that I have done over the years is I've tried to speak clearly, where you understand what I'm saying. Now, if you don't, it's probably still my fault. I've got a little accent left. 
but I want people to understand what I'm saying because I believe it's worth saying. Look at the next statement. Whereas love commands, love commands. A wife may love her husband. That love will command her. Her husband will not have to put up signs around the house, thou shalt do my dishes. Some of you might, but I mean, in normal circumstances. Thou shalt take out my trash, and thou shalt fix my dinners. <laughs> you start laying down a law, buddy, and you'll find out you're going to have war on your hands. Then the war began. <laughs> you remember a sermon I preached long ago? And then the fight began. I need to preach that again. Mother's Day's coming, ain't it? <laughs> but uh, love commands. So you don't have to put signs everywhere, thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt do this. Uh, if your wife really loves her husband, she'll take care and do the things she's supposed to do. But it's hard for a woman to do things for the husband when she don't think the husband really loves her. It really would be. It's hard for the husband to be faithful to the wife and do all the things he's supposed to do if he doesn't think the wife really loves him. Did you know that the devil will do whatever he can to get you to question and doubt God loving you. Because, you know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let you suffer so. I mean, he could have kept these bad things from happening to you. And look how much sorrow you have in your life and how much grief. And God, all-powerful God, sovereign God, do anything he wants to do. And this is what he did to me. And Satan will do whatever he can to turn you against God and cause you to question his love. And when you question his love, it's difficult for you to serve him and be faithful to him. We love him because he first loved us. But when you doubt his love for you, you're not going to love him back. That's why one of the greatest things you can ever do is learn to love the Lord all the time. And don't let anything come or go that would ever cause you not to love him. Because when you stop loving him, there's no hope for you. There will be no restraints for you. There'll be no guidance for you. All of your character can go down the tubes. You must learn to love the Lord. So anyway, the next statement. Your love for Christ will command you. You will not just tell them the gospel message. You'll do much more. You will impart your very life and soul in order to reach them. God's love is shed abroad in our hearts. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart. He says that His love was manifested and that Christ died for us. Such a wonderful thing. It doesn't have to be your love. It only has to be a channel of God's love. The message that God gives eternal life freely proved God loves you. And this is why it's so important for witnessing and to show that God really loves the lost person is that salvation is free. When you tell a lost man to turn from his sins or to commit his life to Christ, you're telling him God don't really love you the way you are. You'll have to deserve his love. And he can't save you Unless you stop this and you start this. So those things counteract the gospel of grace. They are a rebuke to grace. Because it annuls grace. And I don't know why preachers can't see that. The next statement here. 
No one can force you to truly serve the Lord. You do not belong to yourself. You have been bought and paid for by the Lord. Your troubles come when as a slave to the Lord you try to break away. Satan will use you then. And remember the scripture that I showed even this morning, or maybe it was in Sunday school, that the Bible says you are taken captive by him at his will. Satan can capture you whenever he wants to if you don't study God's word and you're not aware of his tricks, his snares, his lies, his deceit. When you're not aware of it, you'll fall into the trap and he can capture you anytime he wants. And the problem is, is when you think you're strong enough to take him on. Always keep your strength in the Lord, not in you. He'll cause you to lift yourself up with pride. He's been there before. He'll make you think how great you are and how wonderful you are, and you don't need God. Next thing you know, I don't need to go to church Sunday nights. I don't need to go on Wednesday night. I don't need to go at all. I don't need to study the Bible. I don't need to do this. I don't need to why because I can handle this. What a fool. Not listening to what God's Word says. Look at the last statement. Who will make a better taskmaster? The Lord who loves you or Satan who wishes to destroy you? You will make a choice. And it will be revealed by the decisions you make in life. Everyone's problem is a love problem. You will not serve the Lord if you do not love Him. And why should you love the Lord? We love Him because He first loved us. Love should respond to love. Jesus' love compelled Him to sacrifice Himself to suffer the anguish and reproach of the cross. Because of this, Paul could declare that he was a love slave, a bond slave. Greek word is doulos. A love slave of the Lord. A voluntary love slave. And he says, separated unto the gospel of God. He lived for this one thing. Only thing he says I want to know among you is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what my purpose is. That was my goal. You see, all those letters that are written to those churches, none of those letters to those churches could have been written if Paul was not a soul winner. Those churches would not have existed. There's a lot of preachers today who are able to take somebody else's fish from somebody else's goldfish bowl and train them. But they can't produce the fish. They can only rob the fish, steal the fish. So the statement here is, you should separate yourself unto the purpose of, that God has for you, the gospel. It is a wise decision to live for the one who loves you. Look up here. Letting this hand represent you and me, and the wallet represents sin. We do this consistently, faithfully, because we always think and believe there might be one person who's watching that might need this. And also there might be a way of teaching those who have heard it over and over again. The repetition. That causes a person to say. Now I finally got it down. And you'll find yourself talking to somebody. And you'll pull out a wallet or a shoe or a purse. Or anything in a woman's. Anything in a woman's purse could be used for sin. And. <laughs> did I say that? And you can let anything, you know, be used. 
And chances are, many of y'all have already done that. But not because you practice it over and over again. It's just because you didn't hurt it a thousand times. But the Bible says that we have all sinned. But God loves us. That's why I keep doing that three or four times during a sermon. Because I want a person to know that God loves you. You don't like what you're doing. He loves you. Because that's the truth. He does love you. And to pay for sins, eternal separation from God in hell. But He loves us and wants us to go to heaven. He loves us and wants us to go to heaven. Why does He want us to go to heaven? Because He loves us. I go through that over and over and over again. But the Bible says that we cannot save ourselves. We have no way of saving ourselves. And the problem also is that we don't love God. We don't love ourselves. We don't love anything. We're all rebellious. All seek our own way. This hand represents Jesus Christ. This is the love of God. God sent His love into the world in a person. Jesus Christ is the love of God revealed. He came into the world because He loves us. Hates our sin, but He loves us. And our sin separates us from the Lord. So the Lord, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But because He loved us and He hated our sin, took all the sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And He said if we would believe that He did it for us, He would put this payment that He made to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. There's no tricks to it, no gimmicks. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you're here tonight or watching by internet and you're not sure, not positive of going to heaven, would you right now, just between you and the Lord, say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I believe Christ died, paid for my sins. Now, friend, if you've already done this before, you don't have to do it again. Because once you trust Christ as your Savior, if you trust Him tonight, then God said that He will save you tonight, right now, when you believe, and give you the free gift of everlasting life. It means that when you die, you get to go to heaven. He said He'll never cast you out. He said He'll never lose you. Why? All your sins are paid. You committed them. I committed them. Yes, we ought to pay for them. But He died in our place. He did it for us. It means that we don't have to pay for our sins. I know that sounds like, well, that's just, we don't deserve that. I know. Called grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you're making that decision, I'd like to know and I'd like to have prayer for you. I know I can't see you that are watching on the Internet, but I'd love to hear from you. But if what I've said made sense to you and you say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior, I'd love for you to write me and let me know. Just put Yankee at YankeeArnold.com. That's simple. Yankee at YankeeArnold.com. And if you're here and you've never trusted the Lord, but you'll do it tonight, would you slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? That means that if we have trusted Christ, then God wants us to serve Him because of the need that the lost has. And that the gospel has been laid upon us. Necessity. Father, we thank you so much for this time together, for the opportunity we have to share the greatest burden in all the world. The burden that you have, the love for the lost, you placed it upon our shoulders, and you've entrusted us with this wonderful message. Help us to be faithful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.